Game Talk, episode 13, Reformation 2020. All right, all right, all right, Wade here. I am flying solo again. I promise this is the last time I'm going to do it. I know you're thinking, what in the world is going on over there? Doesn't Wade have any friends? Uh, doesn't anyone want to work with the guy? Uh, Finnegan won't work with him. His, his own wife won't work with him. Uh, maybe that's the case. I don't know. I, I think that sometimes when there's a hard truth... Um, especially when it's about yourself, it's better just to let it lie, not comment on it, not actually speak the words. You know, that can uh, be a bit crushing. Um, no, actually, they're, they're all too busy. Um, they're all too busy, and I need a little bit of a distraction from uh, a couple of the things that I'm doing here. So I just want to take a couple of minutes and talk about Reformation Day. Now, I don't want to be boring about it. I'm going to try not to be a total bore, okay? Uh, And so in order to not be boring, I'm not going to talk about John Calvin. I'm not going to talk about the Puritans because when you think about reformational traditions and you think about boring, let's just be honest. We're thinking about Calvinism. Um, And, well, and for that matter, pietists, right? Um, We don't want anything to do with those people, so... (laughs) So so let, let's go back to the meat of it. Let's go add Fontes back to the sources and back to the exciting source, the man himself, Martin Luther. Okay, yeah, that's right. we got to talk about Martin Luther. Um, in our house, Martin Luther has become a common household name, if you will. He's a bit of a celebrity in our house. Um because a couple of, was it maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, I don't even know anymore, um, the kids and I read a book entitled When Lightning Struck, The Story of Martin Luther by Danica Cooley. And uh, I just got to say this, it's a great biography. It's a great biography of Luther. I would compare it uh, a little bit to Roland Baton's um, Here I Stand, if you know what that is, if you're if you're a big reader on this topic. Um in the sense that it's it's a dramatized biography. It's not just dry. It really takes you through the action of Martin Luther's life. Um, I mean, the coolest stuff. And I want Finnegan to actually talk about these things, so I'm going to try not to talk too much. But um, how many times he was faced with the plague, all the different hardships of his life, the the starving and beating of his body, and the, the, the price that he paid for that later on. Um, the lovely marriage that him and Katie had, um, the dedication that Katie had, not only to Martin's mission, but his writing as his primary editor and proofreader, um, the the pig farm that she had in order to feed, let's just be honest, he was a bit bigger in his older age, him, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, the amount of beer that she made for him and all of his friends in this big old 40-room house where people were always staying. I mean, it's a magnificent story. I love it. And that is a particularly good biography, especially for younger kids, for them to read. Yeah, maybe like a 10-year-old to like, 13, 14-year-old, that would be a good read for them. Um, And then reading out loud to the others. I don't think that there's anything you had to skip in the book if you're looking at maybe some um, risque material. Unlike, let's just be honest, when I was reading St. Augustine's biography to the kids, and look, uh, maybe you've had this experience, but you got to skip over parts of St. Augustine's life, uh, especially with 
maybe Finnegan could have handled it, but Aislin uh, being six or five and six when we read this, not a great idea. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, got to be careful there. But uh, that is a great biography uh, on Luther. And the other thing I like about it is that it's written by a lady who it seems like is a member of a Lutheran church and quite well read. And so uh, to hear about Luther from a Lutheran is really important uh, because uh, he's both him and his theological positions, I guess you could say, aren't sanitized by other traditions. Um, I know that a couple years back, Ligonier did a really great documentary on Luther's life, but it came from a very uh, reformed perspective uh, instead of a more broad reformational perspective. And so uh, I guess maybe that's one thing that I would say. Um, also, I wanted to talk about Luther uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, I remember my first year at university goofing around on the internet, and I found this thing called an insult machine, and it, it was called the Lutheran Insulter. All I knew was there was a little button that said, insult me again. So, of course, I'm going to hit that button. And it was then that I learned the beauty of medieval insults. Uh, man, just great insults in every imaginable way. Um, we have a real deficit in language nowadays in order to insult people like this. Um, I mean, when, when fascist or communist or socialist or Nazi is the best thing that we can throw out, we're really struggling. Um, we might need to look at Luther for some direction in that area as well. Um, but I remember reading these insults and thinking to myself, even though I loved ancient history, I knew a little bit about medieval history. I knew Renaissance history, primarily art and whatnot. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself, who is Martin Luther? Uh, I guess thinking back at it, sure. I knew, I knew two Lutheran churches in the town that I grew up in, but I had no idea what they were all about and it didn't really matter to me. Uh, but the Lutheran insult machine is what introduced me to Luther. And so later on when I started reading theology and I realized that, man, a lot of people are just really boring. Uh, who can I read that's exciting? Well, let's read some Martin Luther, right? <laughs> and um, it's been over the years now that I've really started to not only develop a continual and deeper love for Martin Luther and a lot of his thinking, but then a lot of other things that come out of the Lutheran tradition as well. So three years ago, because we just celebrated uh, Reformation Sunday this past Sunday, so we've had three years of Reformation Sundays at Anchored Baptist Church. And uh, three years ago, it was... Um, what year was three years ago? <laughs> I think you know, listener. Uh, no, that would have been... 2017. That's right. I do math. And that was 500 years after the year 1517, right? So let's just kind of take that year as the start of the Reformation, even though, of course, there's hints of it before that. And maybe uh, true Reformational thought doesn't pop up until 1520. Uh, look, I'm not going to be the one to say any of that. Uh, what I will say is that our first two years uh, in celebrating Reformation Sunday, we focused on some ideas that come out of Luther's Heidelberg Disputation. And uh, this was something that followed his posting of the 95 Theses in 1517. Um, it is uh, from a 
well, yeah, a disputation, a formal uh, set of arguments in a public setting from 1518. And so the first year we talked about the differences between law and gospel. I don't have any of the quotations in front of me. I should have done that. I'm probably going to get it wrong. Um, But uh, look, if you've ever listened to the White Horse Inn, which I would encourage you to do that, it's a good radio show. It's a podcast now as well as a radio show, I guess. But um, the White Horse Inn is great, and I remember all the times hearing about law and gospel. But it wasn't until I dug into uh, Luther's Heidelberg Disputation that I really started to see the nub of the issue. Um, It had been explained in other places before, but to see the actual source, where it's coming from, and why it was there, was very important. And so Luther says something along the lines of, Um, the law says do this and it's never done. Whereas the gospel, I think he uses the word grace, uh, but we'll say gospel. The gospel, um, is something then that you receive. It's already done for you. And, uh, that's what we focused on. And I wanted to do that. I use Reformation Day each year or Reformation Sunday each year as an opportunity to focus on distinctive language that I think is really important for us as a church um, so that when I'm preaching and people are listening, they hear law or they hear gospel and they know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Last year, or yeah, last year then, we looked at something else from the Heidelberg Disputation, um, and that is cross or glory? That is, are you a theologian of the cross or a theologian of glory? I think this is another really good dichotomy that Luther pulls out um, from the biblical text and then works out as he sees it in the world around him. And in a land full of prosperity preachers um, and and pietistic sort of enthusiasm, what's the other word I'm looking for? Charismatic churches. Um, A theologian of cross versus a theologian of glory is very evident. A theologian of the cross being someone that looks at the cross of Christ alone for their salvation. Um, And the fact that it was something that was done, obviously, in history, right? And for you, for whoever you're speaking to, for that person, for me sitting in the pew. Um, and then this past year, we, or rather a couple days ago, we'll say it that way, we looked at uh, the freedom of the Christian. So 1520, uh, Luther published three works that were really important. Um, one was a Letter to the Christian Nobility. The second was the Babylonian captivity of the church. And then the last was, uh, and these all turned into pamphlets and books. The last was a letter that he was writing specifically to the Pope and his minions. (laughs) Uh, That's a little bit uh, harsh. Uh, But the Pope and his minions entitled On Christian Freedom or The Freedom of the Christian. And uh, look, this is a really important work. He actually takes the idea and the title from Paul writing to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, I think that it is. And his, his big kind of one-liner, if I could say it like that, from um, that letter uh, goes something like this. A, a Christian is completely free. That is on account of Christ, right? A Christian is completely free, subject to nothing and no one, uh, 
And a Christian is a dutiful servant subject to everyone. And this letter is so important because it puts good works in their place. It doesn't say that good works aren't important, um, but it does clearly want to set aside the fact that good works are nowhere in, in terms of the conversation of how does one become saved? How does one become a Christian? How is one made right with God? Um, another place that we looked at this past Sunday was Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now, if you're ever in Awana, you probably know these 10 verses well, or at least you know two of them really well, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. Good. Good on you. Um, ah, my memory's not that good. Don't tell my parents. And, um, but verse 10 is also extremely important because after this whole little uh, part, these, these first nine verses about being made right with God through Jesus's blood and his death on the cross, we get to verse 10. For we are his workmanship. So where's the work coming in? Um, not of our works, but we are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So our good works are actually something that along with our salvation, along with grace and faith and repentance being gifted to us, our works are actually gifted to us as well. And quite simply, um, they're already there. They're waiting on us each and every day. We are simply to walk in them, to do them as we go along. And um, this is something that I think is so important, especially in the culture in which we, the cultures, let me just say that, right? We talk about wanting to be a church that reflects the diversity of our community, and that diversity is a great diversity of cultures. Um, And so because of the great diversity within our church and within our town, it is so important that we get away from this idea of Christianity being something that you just go and do. Uh, Rather, it is something that has been done for you, and then you are sent back out into the world each and every day with the knowledge that you are safe and saved in Christ and that these good works are waiting for you. And this is why in our church we stress vocation so much, um, because I want people to be um, doing these works that have been laid out before them in their families and in the church and in their workplaces and wherever else their places of leisure might be. And so, um, yeah, there's a couple of the dichotomies that I think Luther puts forward, which are really helpful, really good, uh, really worth some thought put into them. Um, next year, uh, I, I'm a little bit torn because I, I don't want to wait till um, 2025 to talk about the bondage of the will. Uh, and yet there are some other things that are really important to talk about as well. Uh, so for instance, I think that next year we're going to be talking about, um, are you an instrument or an agent? Are you out there on your own acting on God's behalf as an agent, or are you an instrument being used by him? And Luther would certainly say we are instruments in his hands, instruments of mercy, as scripture says, Um, not agents out there doing our own thing, trying to work the kingdom into existence. Um, And then I think 
Along with that, I'll probably be tying in the bondage of the will, which if you don't know what that is, man, I would love to talk about it in depth, but I'm not an expert and I can definitely link some good podcasts and resources. And then if you have a couple of weeks, you can spend some time reading that. Um, It is a little bit hard to read. It's actually best to read if you have a copy of it to read from the end to the beginning, because that's the way medieval argumentation worked. Um, And then, uh, you know, one other Luther dichotomy that I think is extremely important is this whole idea of two kingdoms. Uh, The right-handed kingdom being, uh, that is kind of the heavenly kingdom, right? Uh, And then the left-handed kingdom being the worldly kingdom. And yet God being in control of both of these kingdoms. I won't be talking about that next year, but that is good for you to be thinking about right now, dear listener. As you are stuck and drowning in the muck and the mire of election, uh, not the theology, but the election year in the United States, um... Yeah, hang in there. It's almost done. It's almost done. You're going to make it out on the other side. Keep your Christian brothers and sisters as your friends as you make it to the other side. All right. That's all I got. That's uh, episode 13, Reformation Day special. Uh, I need I need, I need, need a companion here. I need someone else to chat with me. But you're not talking, and I need to be done talking. So until next time. Tim comes out. 